It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. To infinity and beyond! Get off, Napoleon. Make yourself a dang quesadilla. I know kung fu. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. And my axe. This should be open, because it's civil rights. This is the 90s. You're going to need a bigger boat. 1.21 gigawatts! I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Gucci. Hello and welcome to the Kendall Cast Movie Roundtable. I'm your host, Kendall. With me, as always, is Nick. Hello, everyone. Ian. Hey, guys. And Jeff. What up? And today we are talking about some Bruce Willis movie. Uh, Nick. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, the fifth element. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are talking about the fifth element. The uh, nine. What is it? 1997. Cult classic. Uh, what did you guys think? Who hadn't seen it? I know we had at least one person that hadn't seen it. I hadn't. I hadn't seen it. I think the other two have. Everybody else has, right? I I saw it. Um. So my my take on it. I'm gonna try to be. So actually, I felt very similarly about it as I did with Stardust, where I think Mm -hmm. if I had seen it at the right time in my life, it would have worked for me a lot better than it did. Um, but it didn't work for me kind of at all <laughs> on, on, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. This movie is great. It, it's a true jewel. I, I, I really like, I, I like just like the imagination of it. It just kind of like invents this world and these aliens and all this stuff and it's all like incredibly outlandish and over the top and and wonderful right especially i mean there's a lot of uh sci-fi adventure movies and things coming around or out around this time and things like that but a lot of them are like dark gritty dystopian things i mean this is dystopian it's just you know it's bright and colorful and a little crazy and it's fun which where you know a lot of a lot of these other movies tend to take themselves a little too seriously, and I think that's part of its charm. Yeah, this so. one doesn't at all. It almost has like the production sensibility of like an episode of Doctor Who. I was like... just gonna say that Ian, you <laughs> stole my insight. Sorry, <laughs> I say it really feels like a Doctor Who episode. So I agree that it feels like a Doctor Who episode, and that was kind of its problem is that David Tennant era Doctor Who did this but way better and in just a more compelling way hmm. so again that's that's also that's also a, a reason that that maybe if it had hit me at a different time i would have felt differently but yeah it just felt yeah it definitely was i don't know why the the low budget sci-fi look didn't do it for me the i, I don't know i don't know like there's things on paper that i should like about this but it just didn't it the the pieces didn't fall together for me. So my take is that I thought it was it was fun and it was entertaining 
and I enjoyed the sort of goofy, creative world building. But at the same time, I kind of agree that for me, like the the heart of the movie didn't quite land, and that like I did not particularly care about like Corbin and Lilu's you know relationship and their love story thing. I'm like, ah, Corbin just likes her because she's attractive, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing he cites for his feelings for her and his love for her, right? And she feels like a 12 year old in a fully grown woman's body, and it's weird. Right, you know, right. so that that element of it, you know, forgive the pun, I didn't particularly enjoy. But like the action and the world building and the whimsical goofiness of it, I I found pretty fun. It's so like it's so it's just so outlandish and extravagant. Like they just they'll just do anything, and like Chris Tucker's character Ruby Rod is just like way over the top, right. and and I love it. I love <laughs> at the end when they're in the ship, kind of decompressing from everything and he's like that was the best show I've ever done and it was just him screaming for Corbin for like Corbin <laughs> <laughs> help me yeah, yeah I, I, I found it entertaining Kendall oh, that you, you call it the, the low budgetness but it was actually the most exp- at the time it was the most expensive like non-major production ever shot <laughs> wow <laughs> with that 80 million dollars wow yeah. Wait, what? Non-major production. What so, like, mean? not not like one of the major Hollywood studios. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, they they have. I mean, even parts of it were reused for other things, like the 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 Mandalore masks, like the bad guy dog-looking people. Those masks were reused for the Neomoidians in Star Wars and things like that. So. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. The the so that's a th- yeah that was a thing. Those get them, it, it had the same issue again. The same issues I had with Stardust, where there were like kind of too many factions. Because you have, oh, there's definitely a lot going on. It was definitely messy, but like it it it, it kind of doesn't matter, right? You just to me, it feels like a ride, right? Like it doesn't really make all that much sense if you look too closely at it. Like there are some problems, like. Don't not really sure what Zorg's motivation was, and like I have a couple of other problems with like Lilu and her role in the movie, but like, but just you know, don't think about it and just you're there for the spectacle, right? Well, it I don't know, I just like you, I but the spectacle didn't do it for me either, right? I it does it does kind of suffer from the sort of scattered like. Clearly, there were a bunch of plot points that needed to be covered, but maybe not enough time to do it. And um, one of the things I discovered while reading afterwards was that I guess originally it was a it was three screenplays that were condensed together into a single movie. You can tell, yeah, <laughs> you can definitely tell they're they're moving through plot points pretty quick there. I think I think what it what it felt like to me was okay. So you're talking about the spectacle. A lot of times when I play a video game. So, like, they'll drop me in and they'll be like, blah, 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 something, something, you're the first in a generation, blah, 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 Hexer Gorbleton is going to destroy the world or whatever, you know. Oh, I hear the king has a new uh, advisor. Isn't that interesting? And I'm like, I don't care. Just let me do a thing. And then, and then like, and then, like, in a good game, the... The spectacle, the gameplay, 
kind of gets me gets me where I want to go or the storytelling gets me where I want to go but in a bad game or in a game that doesn't that doesn't hook me it doesn't so this like it reminded me of like I, I don't know something like Mass Effect or something that just didn't that just never yeah, resonated I was going to say me. this sounds a lot like you complaining about Final Fantasy 10 or yeah or yes that's another <laughs> yeah that's another thing like like yeah yeah okay. Final Fantasy 10 or Mass Effect or uh uh, uh See, Fallout but- but to me, like this, all these, love that Kindle's listing all of these classic RPGs. Yeah, which are really good games. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, to me, like this, this movie does not spend much time in exposition. Like, there's definitely like the intro scene where it kind of sets up this idea that the Mondo Shawins are the are the good aliens, and every five thousand years, this bad thing happens, and there's this perfect warrior who defeats it. But beyond that, it's just kind of like sends you catapulting through this world and I think it does a very good job of of like exploring it without spending any time telling you anything. Sure. Right. It it, it hints at pretty much all most of the major plot points in advance too. So it it does a pretty good job of foreshadowing. Um and I just love thing just the crazy randomness like oh there's a there's we can get pad thai from an old guy in a, a flying boat i mean this and, is great and, and the guy that tries to rob him with the hat that looks oh, like the hat. The I, love his hat. I love the little dance that he does after he gets <laughs> caught <laughs> i also got a uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy vibes oh, definitely because it's just so goofy right but i like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah i think maybe I, I like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy a little bit more as well. And I think a part of that is because, like, the story itself in Hitchhiker's Guide is so ridiculous, it's not even close to serious. Whereas the story in Fifth Element, right, like, yes, all of the window dressing, the world, and the characters are goofy, but the story at its core is still, like, a really serious, high stakes, you know, the Earth is about to explode and we have to save it, right? So, like, Whereas, you know, with Hitchhiker's Guide, the story is like bureaucracy is going to destroy the Earth and it's just it's just silly, right? Right, the um, Earth already blew up because of bureaucratic oversight, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that's just, that, that, that premise alone is goofy, right? And the rest of the film follows suit. Whereas this one, you have all this goofiness on top of like this skeleton of uber serious high stakes. Well, the, the, the point of Hitchhiker's Guide is the search for meaning in the universe. I think it's actually a pretty serious I mean, they're trying to figure out what life is all about. That's that's a yeah, as opposed to come finding some is, some rocks that are supposed to be in a box, but then they're not in a box. They're actually in this blue lady. That that was one. That's one of my minor complaints. Like it, the stones being in Plava Laguna, the the diva are, is like a really weird plot point that kind of comes out of nowhere, and like you can tell. It just kind of pushes things along. Like, what was their original plan? Had she not gotten shot? Like, oh, I'm just gonna like <laughs> open hand these to you, right? Like, yeah. Thanks for anyway, you know, like she, she's a marsupial. It's fine. Right? Although I do have to say the sequence where she's singing and Lily was beating up those bad guys was just like it was great, boring. right? It was, that it was, is, that it was so fun. The, probably the the scene I think of every time I think of this movie is is. Yeah. That that aria really kicking into the high gear, right? And then Lilu's doing like Three Stooges gags with like the eye poke, <laughs> and the, she winds up for a punch and hits the guy behind her. 
it's just it's just a very entertaining sequence. Sure. I think I liked I think I did like that part. I I the anytime you have like a an alien that's like, look, I'm the only one of this alien. It's I don't really like that. I don't really. I didn't like the blue lady. Just <laughs> in general, Why? I didn't like Why the not? blue lady. I, I feel like aliens. You, if you're gonna introduce an alien, uh, you should have more than one of them. Like I, I don't know. She seemed weird. But I, I could have, and it would have worked if the maybe the movie wasn't weird enough. I don't know. I also didn't like Bruce Willis. I, I just there wasn't a a thing for me to latch on to because I didn't yeah, like, like Bruce Willis's like, character. Yeah, to your point, Kendall, it kind of feels like all of the characters are just underdeveloped in general. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, there were just so many of them. Yeah, because like Bruce Willis just plays the same character he plays in every movie, which is like this, you know. Um, understated badass who doesn't really have any like emotions or feelings. He's a little washed know? up. Yeah. Yeah. Who's just in control of every situation, you know, constantly cool and collected. You know, we've seen him a thousand times before. Mm-hmm. And then like Chris, Chris Rock, like is like the opposite. Right. And they're clearly supposed to be four. Chris, Chris Tucker, not Chris Rock. Tucker. Chris not Tucker. Chris. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> he's supposed to obviously be the opposite. Right. They're, he's like this goofy, ridiculously over the top person, but he also doesn't have any layer of depth beyond that, you know? And so like, when we get to Lilu, kind of just the same, you know, and then you got Bilbo Baggins over here whose entire purpose is just plot exposition and advancement without any actual personality. And yeah, it doesn't feel like there's any depth to any of these characters. So it's hard for me to care about them. So then when you introduce this crazy alien lady who's singing, it's like, uh, why not? Who cares? Just throw another one in there. <laughs> yeah. So, so to me, it's not about caring about these characters. Like you don't have to care about the characters to be entertained by this movie. That's true. That's true. I feel like in order to be entertained by a movie, I have to either care about the story or the characters or the action or the world or something. <laughs> like I need I mean, something I think- to latch onto and this film just doesn't have it doesn't have anything to latch onto. Like it, it looked like a visually it looked like the Power Rangers movie. This is why I felt like I felt like if if I had seen it when I was 12 it would have been it would have been great. Uh, I think there's uh, the fact that it has random gratuitous nudity nudity early in the film means that uh, is 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 probably you know means that it was aimed at an older audience than than should have been the ones watching it. Other than other than that one you know that one scene. Right. For me though, it's it's not an either or right because you can have great movies that have fantastic characters and are really fun and have great action. Right. You know? And so I think this movie, because it doesn't deliver on all those fronts, it does hurt because of it. No, I did think, I did think it was interesting how much it felt like an anime. Um, cause I like anime. Um, you know, uh, Chris Tucker's character, um, like, especially the first scene when he's like with the Japanese girls and stuff, Definitely looks like he came out right out of uh, Cowboy Bebop. For sure. I think I think maybe the one character that I think really could, I didn't really understand and could have used a little more development is Zorg, uh, Gary Oldman's character. I like I liked his performance. Yeah. I think he did a great job, but I never really understood like his motivation or why he's working for 
this great evil, which he, he calls Mr. Shadow, which is funny. But I, I, I like how he acknowledges to Cornelius. Cornelius says, you're a monster, Zorg. And he's like, I know. <laughs> I, like, I like how over-the-top evil he is, but I didn't really understand, like, why he's doing anything. I didn't understand why at the end of the movie he doesn't freaking check the box until after he flies off in, in his spaceship and he's gone. When Earlier in the movie, he had a box that was empty and he already got screwed over by it once. And I'm like, dude, you just made the exact same I mean, mistake part again. Of the, part, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's that he's making the exact – basically, he thinks mm-hmm. he's better than the people that he's hired. So him making the exact same mistake as his minions is kind yes. of just great. Big. <laughs> Plus, yeah, that I – mean, yeah, that work. That part, that bit works for me. Yeah, I mean, plus everything. If if his minions hadn't also had a bomb, it would have worked out. <laughs> yeah. Kind of for him, he wouldn't have at least blown up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a pretty low bar of success there. Yeah. Not blowing up. <laughs> it's not one that he managed to clear. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I forgot that they that he manages to disarm the bomb, and then there's a. There's a, a second, second bomb. bomb. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, I don't know. It would have worked really well if this was a kid's movie. I think that a lot of that stuff, a lot of that stuff would have, if this, if this was, if this was really, um, you know, oh, aimed yeah. at a, aimed at a, aimed at a Power Ranger age audience. But just because um, it has a light tone doesn't mean it's a kid's movie. The problem, though, is that like I feel like the film is just too ambitious with its like emotional storytelling. Because you have that little subplot where like Lilu reads the internet, right, and she's learning about all these right. things. Where she, and at I, the end, she, like the, learns about war. She cries during it, and it's supposed to be this really heavy moment. And then later at the end, she's like, "Are humans worth saving?" And it's like, "Okay, guys, this is." This sub theme is not does not fit. With it was the tone just of totally was. shoehorned in at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think unearned. the best way to think about this is to look at it like a young adult novel. Like there are themes, there are heavier themes that kind of get touched on, but they're also not like super developed. Mm-hmm. Like they're just just enough to make you think a little bit, and then yeah, yeah I feel like it would have been better if it just just got rid of those entirely, right, and made it more like hard. Yeah, in general. I guess. Luke Besson, uh, or however you say his name, uh, was working on the script since he was 13, so that might uh, play into it a little bit. <laughs> well, it sounds like it was a. So it's a. It's so basically it was, his like. The, his dream project, the uh, one he always wanted to make more than anything else. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it was all over the place, which is why it's kind of a. All over the place. Yeah, yes. All over the place. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I, I guess when I say when I say specifically aim it at kids, um, if you aimed it at kids, first of all, there wouldn't be the first. I, I think that I think that there's a certain age group. Yeah, maybe a young adult, maybe like again, like twelve year olds that that would really grasp onto a lot of the concepts, uh, really enjoy the action, really enjoy the um, the. Uh, uh, a lot of stuff, you know, and then you can even shoehorn in little is the earth worth saving like it would like that. That is a thing that would have been if you'd have if you'd have had it going on throughout. You know, if she'd have, if she'd have been unsure yeah. about the if somebody had told her that humans are not worth saving at the very beginning and then right. and then she's fighting with it through not even not even like that much of it, but you just kind of think about what she's seen because, because it is, it is apt that everything, when she says whatever, everything that you guys create is so that you can kill each other. 
Like that's apt yeah. based on what she sees throughout the movie. But since that concept wasn't introduced until 45 seconds before she says that, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it's not cohesive and not, it just feels not to like, mention, yeah. Not to mention it's resolved because of her relationship with Corbin at the end, right? Where she's dying and she's like, give me a reason why we should save you. And Corbin's like, because I love you. And I'm like, you mean you want to have sex with her because that's it, right? Like that's the only thing, like there's nothing in their relationship from like a, an emotional level that suggests the two of them should be together, you know? So like not only did it, that sub theme of her not wanting to save humanity feel shoehorned and enforced, but I don't think it was resolved with any level of like, emotional resonance at all if that makes any sense like it just didn't yeah i think the end is definitely the uh the great weakness of the movie i mean i like a lot of the randomness i like the fight scenes i like the jokes but i cannot even like begin to state that love is the answer is a satisfactory (laughs) ending to that especially after everyone's favorite D &D puzzle of uh how do you open the how do you open the uh what is it? The, the the items or the boxes? Stones. Yeah. Stones. That's what they call them. Um, which you know, ev- every dungeon master has stolen that at least once, probably. Which I actually liked that. Bit. <laughs> I, yeah. That's a bit that I liked. I, I thought it was a little a little bit like, oh they oh so this is why this is why they have an apprentice for the old guy so that they have enough people to stand in front of the stones. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the 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 match like they had. They set that up properly, that he had those old burnt out matches and that he kept reusing. And now the fate of the universe is resting on his ability to reuse this match. I thought that was that was a good moment. For sure. I I do like a lot of the jokes and and humor in this movie. Oh, yeah. Especially an example like during the big firefight, right? When Corbin is like hiding in the bar. And he looks over and he sees a guy and he's like, throw me the gun. But obviously he can't, guy can't fully hear Corbin. So eventually he throws like two pole, ball, pole balls at him and he looks so proud of himself. Which, <laughs> and yeah. I think was that guy really was deaf. Yeah. yeah. They, they mentioned that he's deaf. Oh yeah, he was deaf, yeah. right? Yeah. It's really funny because, and then later, like 10 minutes later, as you're kind of getting the shot of everyone calming down, he's like bragging about that to his friends. He's like, yeah, I totally was had a cool head and handed him some weapons, you know, and he's just so proud of himself. And so they call back to it again, which I just laughed out loud during. I, so, I so really like the line, sir, do you classify as human? Negative. I am a meat popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you can tell, uh, the director was super influenced by star Wars. Cause there's a lots of explicit references to it. You know, like the, the lady who walks into Corbin's apartment in the beginning has like Leia buns, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And as he's like driving the taxi and he looks at the screen, it totally looks like the targeting computer from a new hope, right. It has the same interface. So like there's all these little, uh, and then like the, the spaceships that the, uh, president is on just look like star destroyers. Right. So like, clear clear callbacks and nods to star wars all throughout right yeah i totally i totally didn't understand the president like the president President? and the and the government people like i didn't understand what what their role in anything at all was because they made corbin go or something but i think i blinked during that scene and yeah like i it just wasn't the general you know the general dude who used to be Corbin's commander, right? So mm-hmm. he pulled Corbin out of retirement to go on this mission, which I thought was a weak plot point, but but that that's the tie, right? Like 
Yeah. The president is counting on the general, and the general's counting on Corbin to actually retrieve these stones. And Which I thought that guy taught, died in two separate occasions. Like I thought yeah. when Corbin threw the freezer and they free, I thought they were dead then. And then I thought he was dead again when Lilu punches through the glass and like punches him uh, in the stomach. Like how how often is this guy gonna die and then just come back? <laughs> yeah, no, he was he, he didn't. Was die. he also he the general at um, the beginning that got? Yes. So, no, so no, the general on the ship I think died. Okay, but he yeah, was in the room during that conversation with the president. Okay, but okay, so here's so here's the thing because obviously the way that the the all over the place plot ended up, Corbin was going to end up on the. On going on the trip anyway because of the old guy and Lilu, and right. the normally normally you would have like a overly bureaucratic government type people that would call that would hinder him, but it's like he's working with them, but they're also kind of hindering him or something, or they. Right. Yep. I think it was more a point, basically, that they existed basically to be incompetent, to basically say it's all up to you because anyone who might have helped you has no idea what they're doing. And I also think it's to cast an air of legitimacy to the line of priests that were introduced to you in the beginning. You know, like, the the initial conflict was set up 300 years ago when those aliens came back. And then this priest is like, I promise to kind of carry on your secrets and carry on that line. And then by the time we get to the movie, right? Like what's supposed to be the legitimate entity is the government, but they clearly don't know what they're doing. Right. And so you have to trust, Mm -hmm. you know, Bilbo and his priestly line to actually have the answers. Right. So I think they're, they're, they're an intentional contrast to give us, more support and more confidence in the priests and what but they're it's doing. Like they both want him to do the, of the same scene, thing. You see all the other major religions present, but none of them have an answer. This right. guy has an answer. And also for some reason, this guy is also in the president's council. Sometimes so for some reason. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. I guess, I guess it would be like, it would, it would make a lot more sense. And also you would have, you would have more time to develop the actual story and the characters that matter. If, you didn't play up this, like, these are two separate factions. If it was like, I mean, even if it was the, the priest guy came to tell him the thing. And then the priest guy called the president to have the general give him the lottery ticket or whatever it was that made him go on the cruise. Like that would, I feel like that would make more sense. It's just, I don't know. Having the, having the government be this extra faction, just like having the, Having the 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 group of the mercenaries and having the the other the other bad guy, and I guess there's a there's like a it is like a freaking Final Fantasy. There's a there's a boss's boss that like we don't even see. I don't know. I, I apologize mean, for ranting. Oh, it's fine. So, as far as I mean. Mostly from the government's perspective, aside from a couple key po- like plot points, like um, them arranging the ticket to Floston, they're basically just an observer for the entire movie, sort of a, a way to get exposition in. Yeah, they're just another tool to push it along when it needs a little push, and and yeah, that all is a little bit, you know, messy and ramshackle, but whatever. It just it serves to drive the pace of the story forward so that we. Can get to continue to hit the the fun bits. I don't know. It works for me. Yeah. Like 
Let's just keep going. You know, mean, let's not stop. Don't stop and think about it. Just on to the next thing. Let's have some fun. It's a hot mess, but it's a fun hot mess. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. It's a fun hot mess. I agree with that. I don't know. I wish that the and I mean yeah and I mean I guess that's it wasn't fr- wasn't fun for me, and the designs <laughs> weren't like if it was I've always heard like implications that like Fifth Element had these like crazy over the top designs and I mean it's just I don't know just like visually it looks like Power Rangers. Well, you have to remember that I mean this is ninety seven. A lot of things yeah. came out after that that directly took inspiration from this movie right right before before like doctor who really took on that aesthetic too right like it wasn't like with uh chris eccleson is that the the, uh name of the first is 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 the name of is the name of nine yeah Yeah, uh, that's when who really kind of took on that aesthetic and had kind of that wacky um feel to it and no this was before that (laughs) doctor who had doctor who had that aesthetic I know it's go. been wacky for a long time, but like it has like the reason we say that the fifth element looks like a Doctor Who show is because of Chris Eccleston and beyond is what I'm saying. Like I didn't have that exact same because kind you've of seen like, Chris. I would say that I would say that the um, that the uh, the the stuff that I've seen of of the earlier Doctors also has that aesthetic and that feel and that uh, um. I, I think that I think that the Chris the Chris Eccleston stuff is a natural progression of the Doctor Who stuff that came before. I don't think that it's uh, it, it may share some similar influences to Fifth Element, but I don't think that Fifth Element is def- is directly is is directly influencing. I'm not uh, saying it is. I'm just saying the reason we think the Fifth Element is not as interesting visually is because like all of these things came after the fifth element. And now we're looking back on it and judging mm-hmm. it is the point. I'm making. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. I definitely agree with that. I, um, yeah, I, I think that it, yeah, it took, it took influence, you know, it took influence from star Wars. It probably took influence from other, uh, from the other low rent, uh, wannabe star Wars ripoffs from the eighties. <laughs> it also definitely takes a lot of influence from anime, uh, stylistically, right. His his two main uh, sources of inspiration visually, I believe, was uh, French various French comic book artists. The the one who did Valerian, City of Planets, and then the other one who did Heavy Metal. Okay, I can see that. So, which probably is a good chunk of the 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 retro futuristic look mm-hmm. that you see in a lot of things now, like even. Uh, Oh god, I was I had a something there, but um, Fallout and like all that stuff, like the heavy chunky futuristic stuff, like the taxi cab thing. And why mm-hmm. the one the one thing that really bothers me is why does his taxi cab have something that says like attack incoming? <laughs> <laughs> like it's not actually a fighter jet. Yeah. He doesn't I've even always... own the taxi. I mean, that just <laughs> speaks to that's a commentary on society. Absolutely. That, uh, that or he modified it or something. I, I kind of got that sense. So he uh, he modified. It, he should have modified it to not give him traffic points. <laughs> right. Turn the AI off. Yeah, I don't and know. And to like give him some harder shell protective armor so a person can't just fall through the roof. <laughs> I mean, he's only he's only worked this job for six months because I guess he only retired six months ago. Oh yeah, that is true. And apparently, during that time, his entire unit has been wiped out. <laughs> right, he was the only one left. 
And of course, he has to fend off his mother this whole time. Oh, yeah. I just like <laughs> at the end when she's like complaining at the president, and he just like some someone take this phone for me. This woman. Right. Is- <laughs> yeah. You can't really hear what she's saying when she talks to the president at the end, but apparently, what she's actually saying is she's just describing things that happened in the movie. Like you might as well, <laughs> like uh, you might as well saran mat wrap me to the bed and. <laughs> <laughs> And while my while someone strangles me and like so I thought that was entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the and and that's another thing that we're like the the mother the, the, the harpy mother conversation things, like they're entertaining and they're interesting and they would work for me in a different in a, in a in the context of a movie where I was where I had something to latch on to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just didn't click for you. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Although, they, you, I don't know. You don't like Final Fantasy X, so I don't know if I can trust your judgment oh, no. anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, what your problem with that one is. <laughs> I guess I, my, one, my one other complaint about this film is that uh, I felt like Lilu, despite being this, you know, this perfect weapon... And they have that moment where she says she tells uh, Corbin that she'll protect him. She she doesn't really. Like, nope. <laughs> she kind of gets you know that one cool fight scene, which is fun. But other than that, she you know she kind of loses to Zorg and has to get rescued. And Corbin kind of does everything. And then you know at the end, like she just lays there while they solve the puzzle and everything. And sure, she shoots the mouth beam. Like she's necessary to defeat Mister Shadow, but but like she doesn't really do anything. Right. Yeah, the whole perfect being thing is kind of overstated. Yeah, yeah. That I I think, and I think that has to do with that. That probably has to do with when the with the time you know with it being a. With it being the '90s, it's like I feel like from the like the '80s and the '90s was a time when people were like, "Let's be edgy by have women do things, but not actually know how to do that." So like obviously it's a twist, you know. They see the they see the outline and it looks like a man's body, and then they create it and it's a woman. And it's like, "What this is a woman? The perfect Uh-oh. being is a woman. It's craziness." Uh, but then they don't really build off of that at all. It's kind of it's almost it's very similar actually to to the way that Princess Leia is a character who is relative is 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 established early on as a as a powerful female character, but then doesn't really get a lot to do as the movies go on. I would argue that Lilu is kind of a a less well-executed version of River Tam from Firefly, right? Where you have this eccentric girl who's like this amazing fighter, but has all of these personality quirks, but she has a lot of depth to her character and a really cool backstory and relationship with her brother, you know, that you can latch onto and right. you can connect. Whereas Lilu, like, I just feel like she's ju- just like this empty shell of a person with no uh, character. Also- yeah. Also, like two years later, we got Trinity in the in the Matrix, and I think Trinity is a better executed character than Lilu. Yeah, I can agree to that. <laughs> I haven't seen the Matrix in a long time. Oh, it's so good. I love it. I hope the that there one. were more than. I hope that there was another woman in a movie uh, within the two years after this movie came out, though. <laughs> I mean, th- there's also something. 
it's it's kind of I don't know. Is it? Uh, so basically, everyone's pain in this movie is played up for comedic laughs. Everyone gets beat up. Everyone everyone gets shot or blown up for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then it's kind of like Lilu Lilu is the only character whose pain is not laughed at. It's basically mm-hmm. like all those have have to be serious moments. And I don't know. On one hand, it kind of detracts from this, the overall feeling of, I think, where the movie was going. But on the other hand, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. Someone save me. No, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting that's an interesting point because it is a it's a a lot of the movie is a cartoon. And and when it comes to her being in danger, there's actually she's seen as a I mean, she's kind of seen as an innocent white hat. Which makes it a little bit weird that about. But the, she's also supposed to be the secret weapon to save everyone. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah, she's the white hat, but she's also the secret weapon, and she's she's this this innocent child, but she's also the sex object. Right. It's I don't and know. again, like the movie's just totally confused, right? Because it wants to have this lighthearted, goofy tone, but then it also wants to have like this really like emotionally gripping heart at the end, and it, it's just like you can't do both. Or at least not not well. You have to kind of pick one, and it and it tries right. to kind of. And I think that's why the love thing falls kind of flat because I mean she and Corbin have interacted in like three <laughs> real scenes, right? And she didn't speak English until the last. My last point about Final Fantasy X, I will say, I will say <laughs> that, par- I think that a lot of people agree that the protagonist in Final Fantasy X is annoying, right? annoying at first but i think he develops into a really good character by the end uh well he stays annoying but that doesn't mean he's not a good character right i'm not but my thing is my thing is when i play a video game specifically when i play a video game if the protagonist is i'm i'm putting myself into the role of the protagonist and if the protagonist is is not relatable to me or does things that i would not do or speaks with a southern accent then I just can't. I just can't continue. That's just so that's basically. Time. If if the story isn't entirely about Kendall, then it's unacceptable. Exactly. <laughs> not <laughs> not that it's not that it's it, not that it's not about me, but it has to it has to immerse me as being the uh, as being the main character because right. because if this I want to if I just want to watch a story about a character. Then I would rather. Then I think there are better mediums for it. I mean, I don't know. For me, like I, I feel that way. If the protagonist is silent, like in a Persona game, you know, where you're supposed to see yourself as them. But for me, I see like Titus from Final Fantasy X as a completely different person than me, and I don't really feel the need to like see myself in their shoes. That's, or, and like, that's just that's just the di- a difference between how we how we experience you know, them. That you're medium. just objectively wrong, Kendall. Um, um, we, I mean, I mean, because like because like. I can play um, a very similar game to Final Final Fantasy X, What Remains of Edith Finch, and uh, and really be immersed in that character, even though I am not a seventeen-year-old pregnant girl. Spoilers. Um, but but I you know or uh, or 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 I can find find a really relatable, really relatable piece to the character in. I guess I'll, although I guess that's a silent protagonist. The character in. Um, the other game that I was thinking of, um, oh yeah, or like, that one. or like, uh, or like, like uh, 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 Last of Us. Um, the main character in Last of Us, uh, 
he he's a character that I almost had to put the game down because I didn't like him at first, but the first of all the gameplay latched me, which so I had something to something to latch onto, you know, kind of bringing back to this this film where I didn't have anything to latch onto. Um, so the gameplay hooked me, and then on top of that, because the gameplay hooked me long enough for the storytelling to, to, to kick in, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, that, that's, that's why, that's why that game is so great. And I think that I'm not the only person that thinks the last of us is a pretty good game, but but that's my, that's my rant. That's oddly specific, but, uh, it's not the first time you said that. Why fifth elements in final fantasy 10 does not work for Kendall. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are gonna hate my pick for next month. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. All right, well that yeah that that'll turn the corner. Did we anything else anybody had to say before we turn the corner? I think I'm good. Okay, I love go this for movie. it, Ian. That's it. <laughs> this What's is our November movie? movie? And our next great movie is 2001: A Space Odyssey. I knew it. Oh, it's the beeping, <laughs> endless beeping. It's so good. Um, I knew so it. yeah, if if you haven't seen it, uh, you've got a lot to look forward to. But it, this is not a character-driven movie. You are not going to be emotionally invested in the characters. It is much more of a uh, kind of artistic movie. So just sort of you know get immersed in it and uh, and and listen to what it says. And I'm sure you can find a way to enjoy it. But it is this is not a character or plot driven for, movie. for the record my headphones are dying for the record i saw 2001 a space odyssey in theaters i think it was the it was i think it might have been the last thing i saw in theaters before the pandemic oh yeah oh wow i see i saw the first scene in a class in high school with the monkeys the, yeah monkey. i mean there's a lot going on there i mean even the the opening opening scene uh there's like just so much imagery, like right there up front. With like, but anyway, we can talk about that next <laughs> next time. Yeah, we'll see what we think about 2001: Space Odyssey next month on the Kendallcast Movie Roundtable. Kendallcast.ninja, celebrating media, hobbies, and passion since 2014.